The book of the Acts of the Apostles, part 10. In our meeting last week, we discussed the threat and danger of false ministers and false ministries, false churches and false doctrines, all making claims to being led and directed by the Holy Spirit, who is the connectivity of believers in Christ to heaven. We were warned not to take at face value everyone who comes to us claiming that they are speaking the word of God or doing the work of God by the Spirit of God. Rather, we were admonished to subject all such claims to the test of the Spirit. Thus, we must distance ourselves from anyone whose character is not consistent with the divine nature. We must dissociate from people who claim, whose claim of authority of the word of God does not agree with the deity and humanity of Jesus, does not agree with the first advent of Christ via the virgin birth, does not agree with the impending second coming of Jesus Christ. And we must disavow messages ostensibly from the Holy Spirit that do not align with the word of God. Or if the messenger does not exhibit the divine nature. So as not to be deceived by false ministers whose approach can be subtle. We noted that we can either discern them or their works through the written word of God. That is discernment or through the application of the gift of the descending of spirits, which has been given to every believer in Christ by the Holy Spirit, so that we can know for a certainty false claims to the connectivity of the Holy Spirit. The main difference between discernment and the gift of descending of spirit is that with the former, that is with discernment, we rely on observing the character of the individual or the works of the ministry in the light of the word of God. And where that character or the work of the ministry does not agree with the word of God, we know this fellow is a false prophet or false teacher or whatever. That's discernment. Whereas, with the gift of the discernment of spirits, the Holy Spirit simply tells us that the individual or ministry is of false origin. We are given information. To be able to use the gift of the discernment of spirits, we ought to be in a right and tight relationship with the Father and his word. That is, we must be able to rightly divide the word of truth. Otherwise, we might be in danger of ourselves being false teachers. If we are open to the Holy Spirit, he will reveal every false claim of connectivity through him to heaven. We saw some biblical examples of this. Micaiah against the 400 prophets of Ahab. Peter versus Ananias and Sapphira. The Lord Jesus versus the Zebedee brothers. The Lord Jesus versus Peter. The Lord Jesus versus the man possessed by an evil spirit in the synagogue. And then we saw Paul versus the girl possessed with the spirit of divination. To mention just a few. We should seek to manifest the gift of the descent of spirits. Which is very crucial in this end time. As we see all manner of manifestations claiming to be our connectivity to heaven. That is the Holy Spirit. It will require us... Patiently submitting to the Holy Spirit's leading over time and corroborating, verifying such leading and revelation with actual manifestations. May the Lord help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go to our scripture text for today. Acts chapter 1 verse 3. Acts chapter 1 verse 3. To whom, that is to the um, disciples or the apostles, he, that is Jesus, also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen 
by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. We now move to the third consideration which will enable us to understand the acts of the apostles. So far, we have seen that to understand the acts of the apostles, we must realize and appreciate that the actions, activities, deeds and ministry of the apostles of old was a continuation of all that the Lord Jesus began both to do and teach and that it was essentially the acts of the Holy Spirit by the hands of the apostles. In our scripture text, we see that the Lord Jesus Christ presented himself alive to his disciples after his crucifixion and resurrection by many infallible proofs over a period of 40 days. One may wonder why so many infallible proofs and why over so many days? The simple answer is that the Lord wanted his disciples to be convinced beyond any doubt, reasonable or unreasonable, that he had indeed resurrected. So this evening we are going to be looking again at understanding the acts of the apostles and we are focusing this time around on conviction. Conviction. The word conviction can be defined in general terms as a fixed and firm belief in something which cannot be altered by persuasive arguments to the contrary. This is a belief that you have that no matter what argument comes to the contrary, you will not be swayed. You will not be dissuaded. The word also means the unshakable belief in something without the need for proof or evidence. A, a resolve, a resolute belief that this thing is so. I don't need science to prove it to me. I don't need anybody to come and give me a proof. I know it, I believe it, I hold on to it tenaciously. The Lord's reason for showing himself by many infallible proofs and over a period of 40 days was to bring irrefutable conviction of his resurrection. It was a matter of controversy at the time. So he wanted to give it to his disciples who were to go all over the world preaching about his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. As we look through the scriptures, we are going to, we are going to read quite a bit. And um, we allow the scriptures to speak to us. So let's go straight to Matthew chapter 28. And I'm going to read from, in fact, I'm going to read from verse 1 through to 17, but we'll take... 1 to 15, and then we take 16 and 17. Now, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and ran to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, 
Behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Verse 11. Now, while they were going, behold, some of the guards came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. And when, sorry, when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, Tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Praise the name of the Lord. Now we can see what is happening here. Even the soldiers who were guarding the tomb saw the earthquake and realized that he wasn't there. So they reported. Now they were bribed and said, if anybody asks you, what should they say? His disciples came and stole the body away. You can imagine the kind of gospel would have been preached without power. So the Lord had to, this controversy had to be dealt with. Now if you go to verses 16 and 17 of the same Matthew 28, you see something else. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him. What's the last statement there? But some doubted. There were doubts. And yet, if we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 through to verse 8, we will see that this was a major issue when preaching the gospel. In fact, the gospel is incomplete if the resurrection of Christ is missing. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 through to verse 8. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. This was the gospel in front of verse 3. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried... And that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And that he was seen by Kephas, then by the twelve. After that he was seen by over five hundred brethren, brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. And after that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also. As by one born out of due time. These were people going to preach. The resurrection was part of the message. And how do you refute the story of soldiers. Backed by the Sanhedrin. That Jesus did not resurrect. But because of the infallible proof they had of his resurrection. When you read the, the, the Acts of the Apostles. Chapter, let's read chapter 2. We're going to read some portions there. Just one verses, uh, one verse of the scriptures each in each of the chapters and you're going to see the boldness with which they preached in in chapter 2 of acts verse 32 this is peter when he uh, gave that sermon he said this jesus god has raised up of which we are all witnesses with boldness beloved if we cannot preach the resurrection of jesus with that kind of conviction, we have no message. We can as well just pack up and, and sit down in, in a pew and be listening to the word of God. In verse 13 of Acts chapter 3, again, after this was after the, the man who sat at the gate, 
began to walk. Again, Peter was preaching here, he said, and he talked about the prince, he said, and they killed the prince of life, whom God did what? Raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. Then we go to chapter 4 of Acts and read verse 10. Again, here Peter standing before the Sanhedrin, he said to them, Let it be known to you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God did what? Raised from the dead. By him, this man stands here before you whole. For them, that was the major issue. Your gospel, or should I say, the gospel that we preach is incomplete if it does not include the resurrection. You and I must be convinced. We must have the conviction of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, we are wasting our time. Even as Christians, our Christianity is shallow. Later, we are going to see where, where, where we are told that, in fact, we are the most miserable of men because we believe what is not true. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 to 2, here talking about the, the foundational doctrines of Christ. It says, therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. Not only was the resurrection of Christ an issue, but the fact that we also will resurrect, it formed a doctrinal teaching. So it is crucial that if we are going to do anything at all, we must have a strong conviction, not an anyhow conviction, but a, a, a very firm condition, a conviction where no argument to the contrary can sway us. Do you understand what we're saying here? Nobody can come tomorrow and say, Jesus did not resurrect. There are, there are many teachings that try to negate the resurrection. For example, those who say, Jesus has not come in the flesh. What are they saying? He didn't resurrect. Then there are some people who are teaching that Jesus did not really die physically. That he died spiritually. Again, negating the resurrection. So all manner of teachings that try to negate the resurrection. So we need to be, to be mindful of these false doctrines going on. And we, all, we personally need to have a conviction that Christ indeed resurrected. Let's read Luke chapter 24 from verse 1 to 12. These are lengthy passages we are going to be reading for quite some time now, for some time today. Now, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the same account, but Luke is giving this, the, the, the same account that Matthew had given previously. But I want to draw out one or two things here. Now, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Verse 10. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women 
with them who told these things to the apostles. Look at verse 11. And their words seemed to them like what? Idle tales. And they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb. And stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying by themselves. And he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. Let's go to John. John gives that a, 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 a what I call a, 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 a more a, a expanded report on what happened. These are, these are important things. You see, when the women saw, uh, told them what the angel had, when the, what the two men, the angels, had told them that he is risen, and they told the disciples, what, how did the Bible put it? He said, their words seemed like what? Idle things. These women, they started, they just like to be bringing up stories. Peter went there and found nothing. These are just idle talk, but he was wondering what's going on. So, John gives us a more elaborate story around that view, which included him. From verse, uh, verse 20, uh, chapter 20 from verse 1. Now, the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciples whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. You see, the others shortened some parts. John is expanding it. Before anybody spoke to Mary, she had run to tell them, I can't find the body. He's been taken out of the tomb. Verse 3. Peter therefore went out and the other disciples were that This is John speaking about himself in the third person. And were going to the tomb. So they both ran together. And the other disciples outran Peter. And came to the tomb first. And he stooping down and looking in. Saw the linen clothes lying there. Yet he did not go in. Note this. So John looked under. Saw the clothes. He didn't go in. He stood outside. Then Simon Peter came. Following him. And went into the tomb. And he saw the linen clothes lying there. And the handkerchief that had been around his head. Not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who came to the tomb first, went in also, and he saw and believed. Please, what did they believe? Uh, what was it that they saw that they believed now? That the body was not there, the linen cloth was by itself, napkin was folded by itself. That's what they believed, because that's what they saw. For as yet, they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Even though the Lord had been said, telling them, it didn't occur to them that that was the word of God. That that was actually going to happen. Just like many of us, we read the Bible, we don't believe that those things will happen. Even when they are happening before our eyes, we, we still, it, it doesn't make any sense to us. Verse 10. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes, without anything. Verse 11. But Mary stood outside by the tomb, weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down, and looked into the tomb. And what happened? Verse 12. And she saw two angels in white sitting one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Now you are seeing more, more elaborately the various areas as to when the, they saw the angel and other things. When J, uh, Peter and John went in, what did they see? Just the Nilenko. What did Mary see the first time? The same thing. But this second time around she stooped and said, what is, let me even check myself. Then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord. And I do not know where they had laid him. This would have been our gospel. They've taken him away. They've taken him away. We would have all become archaeologists. Searching for Jesus. Everywhere. Every, every uh, 
so-called Easter celebration, instead of searching for the things that they normally search for, we will be searching for the, the, the body of Jesus. Verse 14. Now, when Jesus, well, now, when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. She saw somebody, didn't even know that it was him. Do you know that sometimes when we are preoccupied with certain things, even when the, when the truth is staring us in the face, we won't believe it. Because we are preoccupied with other things. That's why so many people who are preoccupied with the, with the search for money cannot find the truth in the word of God. All they see is money. Verse 15. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, Teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and to your father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now Thomas called the twin, Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not be... Imagine, you are, you are eleven apostles left. The Lord has appeared to ten. Only one was missing. And all ten tell you that the Lord was here. And that one man says, I will not believe. Do you see why the Lord had to appear by many infallible proofs? It's the same thing we do each time we preach. Say, we preach the same thing. I've heard it before. No! We want to give you the word of God by many infallible proofs. Because you need the conviction to hold firm to the word of God. Let's move over to Luke. Again, Luke 24. We are going to be reading from verse 13 to 45. The reason why I'm reading this, I would have told the story is so that we can follow from the scriptures. And we ourselves be convinced about the resurrection of Jesus. From verse 13. Now behold, two of them, two of the disciples, were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was, while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. I pray that our eyes will be opened in Jesus' name. Amen. I pray that our heart will receive understanding in Jesus' name. Amen. And that our ears will be attentive to hear the word of God. Amen. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things 
So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Are you, are you following that conversation? Say, what? We don't know what is going on. So women just came and started telling us they saw vision. These women and vision. That the salvation of angels telling them that he is alive. Verse 24. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. Who are those of their company that went and did not see eh? Peter and John? Verse 25. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe. May we not be slow of heart to believe. May we be quick in our hearts to believe. Oh, slow of, oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Even the Lord Jesus had to use the scriptures to convince these people about what was written about him. They had an advantage over us. What's the advantage they had? They saw him. But they also have the scriptures. The problem was that their eyes were not open to the scriptures. So he had to painstakingly open their eyes to the scriptures. Verse 28. Then they drew near to the village where they were going. And he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Brethren, you look at these disciples. You look at Mary Magdalene. You would see that there is a... There is a... What was the word I'm looking for? A, a resilience in a desire to know the truth. To want to seek the Lord. That draws out the revelation of himself to such people. If you are not looking for him, you will not find him. The Bible says, if you seek him, you will what? Find him. In fact, it says, if you seek him early, you will find him. In verse 30, it says, Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? Our hearts need to start burning. We should be able to say, When I was reading that thing, my heart was burning. A, a sign that what you are reading is of the Lord. This is the Spirit of God speaking to you. Verse 33. So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon and they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread said so the time when we recognized it was as he broke bread we remember this was how he broke bread when the five thousand were fed ah this was how he broke bread when the four thousand were fed that was how their eyes were upset. this is him I pray that we will recognize the Lord Amen. when he appears to us. And, and stop following fables. Just because you saw somebody dressed in white. You see that they didn't describe him as wearing white. Verse 36. Now, as I said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened 
and suppose that he had, they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, Noto, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. These are infallible proofs. Now, there's another proof that is given them. You know, he's been appearing, appearing. Now he's showing them his hands, his feet, and everything. There's another proof he's given to them now. In verse 40, he says, When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, Have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb. And he took it and ate in their presence. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. No ghost can eat food. Do you understand? No ghost can eat food. So that's why Jesus said, Give me food, let me eat, so that you can see that I'm alive. In verse 45, And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. I pray for each and every one of us again. May the Lord open our understanding that we might comprehend the scriptures and be fully convinced about everything that is written therein, particularly concerning the Lord Jesus and concerning the kingdom of God. So we go back to John chapter 20. It's important that we are going over these things so that tomorrow if somebody says, what is the proof that Jesus rose? You have the scriptures. You may not have seen him, but you have the scriptures. And by the Spirit of God, you know that. John 20, 26 through to 29. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside. Now this time around, Thomas was with them. Remember, Thomas doubted because he wasn't there. And Thomas was there. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my, my hands. And reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Many of us think that God doesn't hear when we are talking. You know, he wasn't, he ostensibly was not there when Thomas was saying, except I put my hand in his, in, in his, in his hand and in his side, I will not believe. So he was telling him, I heard it. I heard it. Verse 28. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Now, verse 29 is the critical verse for you and I. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have what? Believed. You are blessed. If, though you have not seen the Lord, you have believed. Let's look at what um, Peter writes in First Peter chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. About this matter of believing, though we have not seen. We shouldn't be seeking to see anymore. What should be our issue now? To believe. It's talking about Jesus here from verse 8 to 9. Whom, having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you do what? You rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That is why you are blessed. Because at the end, you will receive this salvation. It's not about, I must see before I believe. If you go back to John chapter 21, John was even counting the number of times that the Lord Jesus appeared to them. On one occasion, they, you remember when Peter said, I go a fishing. The Lord had been appearing, but this time he said, I go a fishing. He was fed up. He was about to give up. And then the Lord appeared 
uh, smoked fish in the fire and they all ate. Look at John's documentation in verse 14 of John 21. This now, sorry, this is now what? The third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. I mean, they, they, something had to be wrong for them not to believe. He kept right on going. He kept right on going. Why? He knew that this was going to become a major, major issue after he had gone back to heaven. So we see that his remaining on earth for 40 days was not because he loved the earth so much as in the fact that he wanted to reveal himself over and over and over again to his disciples so that there will be no refutal of the fact that he had resurrected. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 from verse 12 to 34. The Corinthians had written a letter to Paul and one of the issues they raised in that letter was the matter of resurrection. You recall that on, on, the, on the Mars Hill when Paul was preaching the issue that threw everybody off balance was when he mentioned the resurrection. Even before the kings, Agrippa and um, Festus, the governor. So It was the matter of resurrection that made Festus say, too much uh, learning has turned you mad. Now, if, Jesus, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? He's not taking it a step further for you and I. If Christ was, what Christ was trying to say is that, you see as I'm raised, you also will be raised if you die. Verse 13. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. If the dead don't rise, then Christ did not rise up. In verse 14. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Do you see that the faith that we have is hinged to what? Resurrection. Among other things. But you remove resurrection, your faith is empty. It's totally empty. Many of us can believe that a dead business can rise. But we don't believe that Jesus Christ was raised. What, what, what we want, we can believe for it. But the one that we need to believe, we don't believe. Verse 15. Yes, and we have found false witnesses of God. Because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterwards those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end, then he delivers the kingdom to the Father, to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. He must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is exempted. Is accepted. Now, when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what will they do 
who are baptized for the dead. If the dead do not rise at all, why then are they baptized for the dead? Let, I need to explain this bit to you. In those days, some people, when their relatives died before being baptized, they went to do baptism on their behalf. So, why, what is it? Why, were you, why are you doing that if you don't believe that the dead resurrect? Of what use is your baptism then for the dead? Verse 30. And why do we stand in jeopardy every... Why are we jeopardizing our lives? If there's no resurrection, why, why, do we, why do we put ourselves in harm's way? I affirm by the boasting in which you... By, by, sorry. I affirm by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die... I am in jeopardy every day. And we, we read that last week. The jeopardy that Paul found himself in. The perils that he found himself in. If, if there's no resurrection, why is he putting himself in such jeopardy? Verse 32. If in the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Don't allow yourself to be deceived by people who are saying all kinds of things. Verse 34. I went to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. It was a it, resurrection is a a, a key issue that we all must believe. If Christ did not rise from the dead, then we have no hope anyway. It means we are not going to be raised up. In Romans chapter 8 verse 11, Romans chapter 8 verse 11, what did the Bible say to us? It says, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also do what? Give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This was what the disciples received with conviction that made them willing to die for the gospel. Without this, believe you me, our witness is empty. Our evangelism means nothing to anybody. In fact, like we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it is part of our confession of faith that we believe that Jesus Christ has come bodily, that he has died, he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day. It's part of the articles of our faith. So we must hold that. These are the subtle ways by which Satan tries to remove the doctrines that have been committed to us. The faith that we ought to be contending with. These are the subtle ways by which he's removing it. And so, look at what is happening today. How many of us are pursuing things? Why? Because for some reason we believe everything is about the earth. If we truly believed in resurrection, we will not be focusing so much on buying things for, on the earth. We want to build ten houses. We want to buy several cars. We want all because we think everything is on the earth. In Second Timothy chapter four, six to seven, you will see these men what they believed and how they how they held firm. Their conviction was so strong. This is Paul. This is his last letter, and he's about to conclude that letter, and he's talking about his departure, as though he's traveling to another place. He says, "For I am already being poured out as a drink offering." I'm already being poured out. The pouring has started. The offering has begun. And the time of my departure is at hand. You would think he's traveling to uh, Mexico or somewhere. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. A man dying. He's not, he's not, he's not, he's not wondering about, oh, what will happen to me? Where will I be? No. Unlike, unlike today's Christians. The moment they hear death, ah, I shall not die, but live to declare the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. When they didn't hear that report, they were not declaring anything to anybody. 
Second Peter chapter 1, 13 and 14. Again, we see Peter. He says, yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you. As long as I am in this body, that's what it means. He calls it a tent, a tabernacle. Verse 14. Knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus showed me. They were not afraid of death. They knew what was going to happen to them by many infallible proofs. You and I may be wondering, so what is our own infallible proof? Are you saying that you don't have testimonies of the Lord's doing in your life? Is that not infallible proof enough? So many of them, by the way, not just one, not two, not three, not four, not ten, not twenty. But we never recount anything. The only time we try lamely to do that is when we want to do thanksgiving. They say, can their blessings name them one by one? Blessings. We don't see the faithfulness of God. We don't see the testimony of God. In First Thessalonians chapter 4, from verse 13 to 18, Paul writing by the Holy Spirit, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. They never said that people died. They said they fell asleep. Why? They were convinced of the resurrection. Are you sleeping? Don't worry. One one resurrection morning, you'll be woken up. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Believers, we must change our attitude at funerals. We may weep because we know we won't see him again. But if he's a believer, there must be rejoicing in our hearts that he's going to be with God. So sometimes, that's why I wonder, why do we spend, why do we allow corpses to stay for so long before we bury them? To what purpose is it? And then we start crying and crying and crying and crying. As if the, the, the fellow, except, even if, even if the fellow is not a believer, our crying for an unbeliever who has died is not that he, 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 we will see him again. It's the fact that he's in hell for all eternity. You are not just not going to see him again, you are not, not going to see him forever. Verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, is that in your Bible? Even so, God will bring him God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. We are to be comforted by the fact that there is a resurrection. Not just of the Lord Jesus, but of you and I. And that it is real. It is true. We we'll go back to First Peter, Ephesus Corinthians chapter 15. From verse 51 through to 58. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed or transformed. What he's saying here is, those who are alive, they will experience that change, that transformation. Just like those people who died. Blood cannot be in your body. So at the rapture, it was going to be in the twinkling of an eye that blood will be removed and it will be as dead. But then we will now become spiritual beings. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound... And the dead will be raised incorruptible. Many of them died how? Corruptible. And we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. So everything that makes us mortal. For those who will be alive at the time. Everything that makes you mortal. 
will be removed. And immortality comes in. It is blood that makes us mortal. The Bible says that the life is in the blood. Remove the blood, the life is gone. And we become, uh, we, are, we, are, we are mortal because of blood. So immortality, mortality must become immortality. Verse 54. So when this corrupt, corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, or grave, or hell, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Do you, do you see why the matter of our resurrection is important? So that you can be immovable. You can be steadfast. You can abound in the work of the Lord. You can keep doing the work of the Lord. Don't let anything dissuade you. And that was their position. That was their position. Realizing that, they knew that if this is the case, then we must commit ourselves to God. We must commit our souls to God for safekeeping. In Luke 23 verse 46, that was exactly what the Lord Jesus did. Luke 23 verse 46. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. If you go to Acts chapter 7, you see Stephen again, verse 59, I believe it is. Yes, 59. It was the same thing that Stephen said. Similar thing. And the stone Stephen, as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God do what? Commit their souls to Him in doing good as to a faithful creator. We must commit our souls to God. Now, add 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 12. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 12. For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed. And I am what? Persuaded. I am convinced. That he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day of resurrection. This was their attitude. They knew that resurrection was standard. And so they committed it to God. Knowing that he would take care of them. Knowing that he will, he will, he will keep their souls which they have committed into hands until that day. I, I want us to read First Peter chapter 1. I'm going to read from verse 3 through to verse 5. So you can add that also to your notes. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. If you commit your life to God, He will keep it until that last day. There is, there is a portion for you in heaven and they put it reserved and your name is written there. Commit your soul to God. You will find it in heaven. Remember what the Lord Jesus said, I think it's in Matthew chapter 16, towards the end, where He said, uh, those who, who are, are not willing to, who love, those who love their souls, they will lose it. 
But those who are willing to lose their souls for the sake of the gospel. Why? Because they've committed it to God. Say so they will find it again. They will, they will receive it. You must understand this. Otherwise, we will not be able to be effective when it comes to our preaching. In Romans chapter 4, let's take it from verse 17. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him whom he believed. Who is this him that he believed? God. Who does what? Who gives life to the dead? Do you believe that? That God gives life to the dead? Abraham believed it. And calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Who, contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. When you see who, contrary to hope, in hope believed, what is he talking about there? A strong conviction that though he was 100 years old, if you looked at the age of Abraham, was there hope for him? If you looked at um, science, was there hope for him? So against all the hope that was contrary to him, what did he do? He believed in the one hope that, was, that mattered the most. Who? God. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Conviction does not waver. Conviction is an unwavering faith in what you believe. Abraham had conviction. Look at verse 21. He says, I'm being fully what? Convinced. This is conviction. That what he had promised, he was able to perform. How many of us actually are convinced that God is able to perform what he says? Sometimes we say it. But when pushed us to shove, we turn elsewhere. We don't hold on to God. You, that kind of conviction does not cut it. That's a lame conviction. That's no, in fact, there's no conviction. When, when you are convinced in God, you will hold on tenaciously to what God has said, regardless of what is happening to the contrary. And therefore, it was accounted to him for what? Righteousness. When you read Genesis chapter 15 verse 6, and Abraham believed God and was accounted to him for righteousness, you know, we just read two lines. But this is the working of that accounting. He strongly believed God. He held on to God no matter what. It was Sarah who was coming up with new approaches. What is it that you cannot hold on to God for? That you are looking at yourself. Looking at conditions. Looking at science. Looking at history. Looking at so many things. Oh, it doesn't happen this way. It doesn't happen like that. So what? Is God tied to what, how it happens elsewhere? What is it that God has told you? Hold on to that word. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. Do you know that there will be no imputation of righteousness if we, if we don't have this kind of conviction? And right now many of us don't have. How can, how can we talk of fear if there is conviction in us? Where is this place for fear? Where is the room for fear? How can we talk of worry, fretting, if there is conviction? Believing is not passive, it is active. Verse 23, sorry 24. But also for us, oh, let me read 23 again. Now it was not written for his sake alone, that it was imputed to him, but also for us, it shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who also delivered up, who was also delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. So in, in reality, if we don't have the conviction about the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus for our transgressions and for our justification, you're not going to heaven. It's, it's even more than the preaching. It's about your very salvation. 
if we believe, even though we don't see, at the end, we will see our, we will receive our reward, the salvation of our souls. In, in Romans chapter 8, 33 to 35, uh, sorry, 35 to 39, that's why he asked the question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who? If you have conviction, no, no demon can separate you. Lack of money cannot separate you. The fact that you don't have a husband, you don't have a wife cannot separate you. The fact that you don't have children cannot separate you. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Even though we, they are killing us, we stay there. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded. When you see persuaded, you are talking of conviction. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I read a story. A young man said that he went to watch a football match. Two schools were playing football. And there was this young boy who was boisterous and excited. And he asked him, what is the score line? He said, 3-0. Who is leading the other school? Ah, your school has zero. He said, yes, but don't worry, we are winning. At 3-0, he was confident. They said, when the game ended, the score line was 4-3. They won. That's conviction. Do you understand? You don't say at 3-0, oh, all hope is lost. All hope is lost. And that's it. All hope is really lost. At 3-0, the boy was rejoicing and jumping up and excited. that The game has not ended as far as it's concerned. As long as that game is still being played, they will win. You are not dead yet. As long as you are breathing, whatever God has promised you will surely come to pass. God is not a man that he should lie. Has he said, will he not do it? Has he spoken, will he not bring it to pass? Is he not able to do it? Why is our believing such a head knowledge thing? We need to be convinced beyond reasonable doubt. Otherwise, our faith is useless. I see many people having faith that they will get a car. Even when it is clear that God does not want to give them the car. They still believe. They still hold on. They are still holding on that they will get a car. But they cannot believe about their life. But they believe for things. But what matters the most, they don't believe. Otherwise, many of us will be committing our souls into God's hands as we go on journeys every day. Matthew 24 verse 9. From verse 9 to 13. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. The Lord was telling them what will happen. If you don't have conviction that there is a resurrection and that you will be raised up, you, you, you have to turn back. You just have to turn back. Many of us still come to church, but we have turned back. That's the truth. We are not evangelizing. We are not praying. We are not studying the word. We are not doing anything. We have lost focus of what is important. Because there really is no conviction. And we must have conviction. Otherwise, we are not Christians. We are just churchgoers. Verse 10. And then many will be offended will betray one another. Who do you think is betraying one another? The people who lack conviction. Who has been offended? The people who lack conviction. And will hate one another. Why? They lack conviction. They don't know what they believe. If you know what you believe, why should, why should forgiving somebody be a problem for you? Why should you hold somebody in unforgiveness? Why should you bear malice? If you had the conviction about the veracity of the word of God. If you believed with conviction that there is heaven and that no sinner will enter heaven. That a man that does not forgive somebody will not enter. Why would you be holding somebody in unforgiveness? Remember when we did, what generation is this? We spoke about why they could not enter. Because of what? Unbelief. No conviction.
deception. Verse 11. Then many prophets will rise up and deceive many. Why are they able to deceive many? No conviction. Do you understand now? People are being deceived because they have no conviction in the veracity of the word of God. That's why somebody can come and tell them rubbish. And they believe it. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Why is lawlessness abounding? No conviction in the word of God. If we had conviction, honestly speaking, the Christian community would be the strongest community. But we are so weak that the current president can be making noise on TV, that, uh, on, on radio or mid, the media. That uh, why is, why is the, the CBN governor, who is a Christian, going to be heading a group of Islamic bankers? We are not an Islamic nation. What is their business there? Go, are, are we kneeling down at all? The level of talking is too much. I've said it before and I, and I repeat it again. A prayerless Christian is a noisemaker. That's all we do. We make noise. We don't pray. Look for a believer who prays. He doesn't have cause to make noise. Verse 13. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Conviction is not temporal. Do you understand? Conviction is not for a short while. When a man has conviction, it is till the end. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6 to 8. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith walking through love. You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion, what, what were they persuaded now? Against following the gospel. They were convinced, different things. This persuasion, this conviction does not come from him who calls you. You cannot get a conviction outside of God. If a man convinces you about the word of God, another man will come and convince you against the word of God. But if you receive conviction from God himself, I don't think, I don't think any man can come and convince you. When Paul talked about going to the Arabian desert to spend time who was, and receive revelation, who was convincing Paul of what he was receiving? It was the spirit of God. So there was nothing Peter could say Contrary to what Paul knew that Paul would listen to. Do you understand? That was why they were resolved and resolute that circumcision or uncircumcision did not mean anything. They were sure. He wasn't speaking empty words. We need, I don't understand when, when we say we are spending time with God. We go on a retreat. We go here. We are spending time with God. What are we doing? What really are we spending time? Is it to receive such, such revelations and convictions? No! We are spending time with God in, in the retreat because we want to. We, we, we are looking for a contract to chase after. We, there's, there's, there's our money is tied somewhere, so we want to we want to talk to God until that money is released. People people spend time in presence of God to receive revelation with full conviction and assurance about what they were receiving, so that nothing anywhere in the world can scuttle them. If we had conviction, why would anybody be able to convince us? That sand from your village, when you go and bring it and, and, and they pray over it, will, 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 will give you a solution. Why would anybody believe such a thing? Why would anybody believe America wonder? Say, ah, but, but we see it happen. So what? It's a lying wonder. We must have the conviction with boldness that this is not from God. If, if in, you see, that's why when the Spirit of God is telling you this is not from God. We are, because we are, conviction is, 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 is uh, what's the word I'm doing? Loose. It's not firm. And we are, we are variable. We are wavering. That's why we can say, well, 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 well. No strong conviction in anything. No strong belief in anything. Luke chapter 16 verse 31. This is Jesus speaking. But he said to him, 
If they do not hear Moses, this was a, you know this story now, Lazarus and the rich man. When the rich man was um, asking Abraham that please send somebody to go and tell my brothers that they shouldn't come to this place, they should change you. He said, but he said to him, that Abraham was saying to him, if they, the Lord Jesus was the one giving this story and Abraham was the one speaking here. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. If you cannot be persuaded by the written word of God, let somebody come from anywhere and tell you anything. Because here when we say the Moses and the prophets, what are you talking about now? The Old Testament. So if in reading the Bible they will not believe it, there is nothing that anybody can do. Even if somebody rose up from the dead and came to tell them, they will say, forget it. It's not true. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 to 18. I want you to look at the life of the apostles because of the conviction they had. Not just about the death and burial of Christ, but about the resurrection of Christ. And their own resurrection as well. He says, we are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Do you know that many of us cannot believe, cannot understand this. But they, they continue, they trudged on. Remember that hymn. I'll be a true soldier, I'll die at my post. So we are hard pressed, but we are, not, we are not yet crushed, so we are still alive. That's okay. We are perplexed, but we are not in despair. The economy is biting hard, but we are not dead yet. Do you understand? I'm not able to eat as I used to eat, but at least I'm eating bread. It's something. But we have developed a taste that we must, life must continue as usual. Where did the Bible tell you that? Even in a family, the Bible says, He will sustain you. Elijah was sustained. He was not given a, a, a banquet. He was sustained. There's a difference between sustaining someone and the fellow just eating freely. That's a difference. Verse 9. Persecuted but not forsaken. Struck down but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. That the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. They didn't mind dying. That is being degraded, being denigrated. That the life of Christ might ooze forth. Now say, why are you not, why will you not give up? They will see Christ oozing forth. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. That the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke, so we also believe and therefore speak. They believed that it doesn't matter what will happen. God had their back. And so they continue to speak. Regardless of the opposition, they continue to trudge on. Knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with him. Such faith. Such conviction. By the way, you cannot really talk of faith without conviction. Neither can you talk of conviction without faith. They are actually one and the same faith. Conviction is that faith that, we, that God is actually looking for. When you read the, the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11, he's talking about conviction. Those who do not draw back, they are people who have conviction. They are resolute in what they believe. And they hold on there and hang in there. No matter what. Verse 15. For all things are for your sakes, that grace haven't spread through so that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. We will be suffering from whatever pressures, from whatever concerns or whatever it is, but our inward man, the inner man is strong. The body may be weak. As you grow older, your body will be weak. 
Your body may not be able to do certain things. But the inner man must remain strong. The inner man must control the outer man. The outer man cannot be telling the, the inner man, you know, you are weak now. No! I am strong. My body may be weak, but I am strong. For our light affliction, that is how he considered affliction, the affliction, this breast, but not crushed. What did he call it here? Light affliction, our light affliction. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Light affliction. Pressed down, but not crushed. Light affliction. Which is but for a moment. He says these things, all this, all this recession, they are, for a, they are a moment when you compare it to eternity. Oh, for so long, well, how long is it? It's a moment. It's working for us. A far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Where was the focus of Paul? Eternity. He wasn't looking at this one. But we are so invested here that we don't see eternity. We just look at this one alone. We cry so much about what we are, what we are going through, what we are going through, what we are going through. And we are unable to transcend the, the difficulty. People carry frowns on their faces from morning till night. Because they have no conviction about the word of God. Verse 18. While we do not look at the things which are seen. Have you seen it there? But at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are what? Temporary. But the things which are not seen are what? Eternal. Why focus your life on car? When you get that car. Let's assume they get, you, you get brand new to, uh, not, uh, what, what do you call it? Tear rubber. With all the rubbers and everything around it. You are the one who tore it yourself. And you are driving it. From the moment you drive that car outside that factory, that the dirt of the main road has touched the tire, you know you can't return it again. It is now a used car. They will now evaluate it. It doesn't matter how, whether you drove it for one kilometer. I remember when I was trying to sell one of my cars overseas. I hadn't driven it for long. I hadn't bought it for long. I couldn't, I couldn't even find a pricing for it. Let alone say I can sell it. Anybody who wanted to buy it, they will think there is a problem with the car. So they will buy it at next to nothing. So you have to keep the car. And that's what we are focusing on. When there is eternal life, we are focusing on money that can fly away to heaven and leave the, 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 the owner down. No, 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 no. We need to change our ways, our way of life. This was the problem of Demas. Verse 10 of Second Timothy chapter 4. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. Demas's conviction was not strong. I will have you to know that there were letters that Paul wrote where he wrote that Demas says, I should greet you. But Demas could not endure. He says, having loved this present world. Many of us, our conviction is not strong because we have loved this present world. Every, anything about the world, we are happy with it. But when we talk of Christianity, we don't believe. Let's conclude. The Acts of, of the Apostles is not just about preaching the Word of God or the praising of God or the performance of miracles, signs and wonders. But it also includes the preaching about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead as well as the persecution, popularization and pulverization of the Apostles. You know what it means to pulverize somebody? To make somebody poor. You know what it means to pulverize? To beat to pulp somebody. The ruin the killing of the apostles. That's what I mean by pulverization. Despite all the negatives that attended their doing the work of God, the apostles of old did not lose heart. They did not give up. Neither did they abandon ship. Nor did they desert their posts or their Lord. What was responsible for such commitment? Despite the many difficulties, challenges and overexposure to death? It was their conviction. Not just in the message of Christ, 
But most important, especially in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, surmising that as the Lord was resurrected, so would they also be resurrected if they died at their post. They did the work of God through suffering, chains, and execution, committing their souls to the safekeeping of God, who alone can take very good care of it unto eternity. We need to do these things. If we are to account for much vis-a-vis the work of God, we must likewise be totally and completely convinced about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that it is a token of our own resurrection when we die. Otherwise, we will be dominated by the fear of death and desire for pleasures and material things. Resulting in a gospel which is no gospel at all. By which, but which has become rather the pursuit of many so-called believers in Christ. As is the case in many so-called churches today. Why do you think people are running after these things? No conviction. The fear of death. is the fear of death that is making people talk of embermont, embermont, embermont. Because of the many preachings against it now. It has, it has waned a little bit. Wait a while. When people have forgotten about it, somebody will resurrect embermont again. As if people don't die in January. Or die in February. Or other, other months of the year. The gospel of prosperity has overtaken and over, overrun virtually the churches. Everybody goes to church because they want to get something. Not because they want to, they want to meet with God. They want to get something for, themselves, for their pleasure. If we are not fully persuaded or convinced in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, our witness of Jesus Christ will be weak and ineffective. We will not be fully committed to the Lord. And we will be unable and unwilling to endure persecution, pauperization and pulverization till the end. We are there for a, for a short while. And after we say, no, no, it's enough, enough, I'm, I'm jumping out. Such was the case of Demas. To be fully persuaded about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And by extension, ours also. We must have confidence in God and in his word. That what he has said he will do. He is not only just able to do, but he will do it. May the Lord help us. I want us to pray. Just for a few minutes, because you have to continue this prayer at home. But for a few minutes, I want you to pray about conviction, a personal conviction about the life, the death, the burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is lack of conviction that is making many of us to believe this Christmas story, to believe that we must have Christmas. It is lack of conviction. It is lack of conviction that is making us to absorb all kinds of doctrine. Talk to God about personal conviction. Personal conviction about what has been written in the Bible. So when people are telling you, oh, let's do this, let's celebrate this, let's celebrate that, ask them, where is it written in the Bible? When they say, oh, don't worry, you don't have to worry about the Bible, tell them, forget it. I worry about the Bible. I care about the Bible. It is lack of conviction that makes us to say, well, let's manage it. We must be resolute. Let's talk to the Lord. You need, to, you need to even start talking to the Lord now. Lord, I, I, need, I need some time with you to, to, to settle this matter. Make that time available to me, please. So I can take some time off. A few days in my own Arabian desert where I will seek your face for the truth that is in your word. So that nobody, no, no demon anywhere, no false prophet, no false teacher, no so-called mighty man of God in quotes, will be able to derail me from the pursuit of righteousness and holiness all the days of my life. Nothing will be able to separate me from the love of Christ. Father, help me. 
the blessing that accompanies them that believe, even though they did not see. Let it, let it be upon me. Let's talk to the Lord. Oh, Father, help us. Father, help us. There is so much unbelief, so much lukewarmness, so much tardiness. Even for those of us who claim to believe, our believing is late. We only believe after we have seen. We only want to believe after we have seen something. Father, help us. Many of us are only strong Christians when we, when we see one or two things happening. But in a state where nothing seems to be happening, we are not Christians. We don't believe. Father, help us. We are in a world where majority carries the vote. But Father, help us to be in the minority and to stand firm even though we are in the minority. Help us, Father. Blessed be your name, Lord. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. Amen.